you can do better. <laughs> Why, thank you. I wanted to mention uh, before I begin here that, um, you know, the campus pastor's office is not just about chapel. We really desire to have you come in and visit with us, have a cup of coffee. Uh, we don't have any in there, but we could drag down to Starbucks or whatever. And uh, we, we just really want to get to know you and talk about whatever you'd like to talk about. And so we are there to pray with you and, and visit and um, just ask that you know that. And uh, we invite you to come in. Well, it was my daughter's 21st birthday. She didn't really want to party this particular year, and so our family kind of put their heads together to figure out what could we do that would be a little different and would be kind of fun. And so we, um, we decided to rent Wave Runners. And um, we, uh, we thought that would be a really fun day. We love to do that kind of thing. We've mostly done that just on lakes. and. Um, the day was foggy, though, and it never seemed to clear up, and we got kind of frustrated because we were looking forward to this outing, and so we decided to head for the hills. Always a good plan, I think. And um, we headed over the uh, San Marcos Pass, and we found a little place that Kelly told us about that she said would be really fun to just hang out for the day, and there's a little river there, and, uh, and it would be fun to go and, and just spend some time and swim, and, and she wanted to show us this place because she'd been there a few times and loved it. So we went, and we, uh, we parked in some obscure place, and we, we walked, we kind of hiked in, and it was sort of a warm day, and by the time we got there, we were more than ready to jump into the water and just uh, enjoy the place. But when we got there, um, Rick, my husband, and I noticed that it was about 90%, no, I'll say 99% kids that were there, mostly under the age of 20, well, of course, young adults, I should say, and, um, and we felt, uh, well, let's say a little out of it there, and we wondered if this was the right place for us. But uh, you've probably felt the same thing in reverse. You know, you, you have a friend, and you've gone to a gathering that maybe your folks have invited you to come to, and everybody's old, and you just kind of feel like, oh, my heavens, you know, what am I doing here? Well, we felt a little bit that way, and so, um, so we went. And... Um, as we were there, we kind of looked around us and we realized there's sort of a party atmosphere thing going on here. And uh, there's a little beer and some strange smelling smoke things that were going on. And <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm sure you don't know what that would be. And, and, uh, and people were dressed in all different kinds of swimsuits. Most of them didn't have that much fabric, but there was, you know, there was a lot of variety there. <laughs> And we kind of looked around and we thought, okay, well, this will be fun. And um, so we just, you know, started swimming and laying in the sun, putzing around. And uh, it wasn't long before we noticed as we were there that there was, um, th there were sheer cliffs all around us. And, and to the right, we noticed on the sheerest cliff that was well above 100 feet, anyway, above the water, probably a little bit more than that, these three guys were going up the side of the cliff. And as they went up the side of the cliff, we realized they were planning to sit up there and, and actually jump down into this water that, that would be a, practically a speck from where, where this perch was. And the three of them went up there, and we, uh, we were kind of horrified, you know? I remember standing in the, uh, in the water and looking up there and thinking, um, 
if these guys do this, someone might die. There's no one out here. There is no one out here to save them, except for us. And, uh, and it was a little frightening. And one by one, the first guy, uh, after a short time, left the ledge and landed in the water to the roaring approval of the crowd around him. After he came up for air, kind of sputtering and gasping, he started coaxing the second guy. Come on, jump, you idiots. It's no big deal. You can do it. But it had been a big deal. You could kind of see. He was a little bit white. And I was just grateful as I stood there in the water watching these guys, kind of riveted to the spot and praying, because I just had this sense something was going to happen, that, um, that it wasn't okay. Well, the second one hesitated for a very long time. He, uh, he deflected the mocking, and he deflected the jeers until he couldn't take it any longer. And I held my breath as he, too, jumped off the side very awkwardly, I might add, very far down to the bottom, he went with a giant splash. Well, now there was one guy left on the ledge, and this guy didn't move. Five minutes, ten minutes. The coaxing turned to mocking from all of these different kids down below, and the mocking was followed by a steady stream of chicken taunts coming from a group of girls. Probably the most humiliating thing yet. And then he still didn't move. And I heard someone yell, oh, go ahead, jump. Life sucks anyway, who cares? People began to turn their backs to him. Still he didn't move, frozen to the spot. The tension mounted. My husband yelled, go back. You don't have to jump. Minutes passed. Long minutes that seemed like hours. I was dying, aching inside as I stood in the water and watched this young man. And when I couldn't stand it any longer, my daughters tease me about this. Um, I was a little anxious about this, and I yelled at him, but a little bit too loud. You know how that goes? Don't do it, you know? My voice broke. And, but I said, it takes more courage not to jump. <laughs> To which he replied, do you think I'm chicken? (laughs) Oh, my. And I said, "Uh, no. (laughs) And from his perch, he goes, shut up then. Just shut up. But he kept watching me. And he didn't move, and I tried to encourage him by keeping eye contact, even at that distance. And the minutes passed, and everyone knew by now that he was afraid, and I feared in my spirit that he would be the one that wouldn't make it if he jumped. My prayers became more fervent. My daughters began yelling, go back, it's okay. And then an interesting thing happened. Other kids began yelling, go back, don't jump. Not everyone, but a few. And we waited. We waited so long that it was time to go home. And then an interesting thing happened again. He got up, slowly, gathered his wits, and began to retrace his steps down the cliff. He didn't jump. He didn't get hurt. He didn't die. Somehow he found the courage within himself to stand up to his peers and say, I'm not risking my life for this. 
doesn't seem to go that way too much, does it? I know our prayers and our encouragement helped him with that decision, and that was a good feeling. But that was not the feeling that I went away with. In fact, I was struck by the hopelessness, the hopelessness that I saw there. Jump. Life sucks anyway. Have a little fun. Let us have a little fun at your expense. Don't be a coward. What could be worse? Be a man. What is there to lose? Really. Hopelessness. Our world is full of it. Why try? What's the use? What's the point? And these questions are woven, if you've noticed, through our books, our movies, our art, our music. Here's a beautiful song, but you'll hear the hopelessness in it. Hopelessness. Who will tell them that there's hope? Who will tell them that there is so much more to life than this? Who will have the courage? That's kind of scary, isn't it? It's kind of scary to stand up and tell them when they're mocking and they're laughing. It's hard to be the lone voice. It's hard to swim upstream. Situations like these, it's hard to be the only one to say that the only way to God is through Jesus Christ when tolerance is the word of the day. It's hard to be the only one who is pro-life or anti-abortion or pro-life, I'm sorry, or anti-pornography. It's hard to be the only Christian parent who has standards for their kids. It's hard to be the only one willing to visit the AIDS ward in the hospital. It's hard to be set apart. It takes courage. Courage. Courage to be a Christian in this hopeless world. It's not something I can conjure up because I'm supposed to. So where then does it come from? We have a verse that I found. Maybe we can put up. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. This is a verse that just stood out to me, and so I decided to do a little tracking. What was this verse? What was it couched in? What was the context of this verse? And what could we learn about courage from these two men? Well, I go back to Acts 3, and this is where it comes from. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. There's a song that goes with that. I know there is. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping 
and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, as the story goes on, the rulers, here they are again, the rulers and the elders and the Sadducees are pretty bugged by this. They're not happy that this has happened and that everyone is very excited about this. In fact, this, combined with what Peter preaches, bring uh, 5,000 people to the Lord. And the, uh, the elders call them to meet with them, and they say, you know, this is not an okay thing. And they jail them just to make sure that nothing more happens. But then the next morning, they call them up, and they ask them to come back and meet with them again. And they say, you know, you better be quiet about this. We don't want to hear any more about this. And Peter responds, and we'll talk about that verse in a minute, but it's just like, not going to happen. And after he meets with them, and they don't know what to do about this, then Peter and John are released to go and be with their friends. And they go, and they're with their friends, and they are prayed for, and they are cared for uh, during that time. Well, there are three things in this chapter, especially chapter 4, that show us how to have this kind of courage that passes all human understanding, the kind of courage that gets in the face of this hopelessness that we see. The first is the one that you saw on the screen, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Yes, Peter and John had been with Jesus, all right, plucked from the routine of their lives and chosen to follow Jesus for three years, been with Jesus, what did that mean? That they checked their watches and reviewed their day timers to see how much time they would have to fit Jesus into their busy schedules? No. They woke up with Jesus. They fried fish with Jesus. They brushed their teeth side by side with Jesus. Jesus taught them to observe what was going on around them. He showed them how the Father felt about children, about old people, about the rich, the poor, the religious, the sick. All of life was about learning. Whether they were telling stories by the fire at night, playing pranks, yeah, I think they played pranks and they laughed a lot, mending cloaks or casting out demons, and all of life was also doing. Okay, Jesus would say, Now you've seen me do this. You try. I'll watch. When you spend a lot of time with someone that you admire, you begin to look like them. Some people say that about husbands and wives. Other people say that about people and their dogs. This is a little different. (laughs) Some of your mannerisms change. Some of your words and the way that you say them change. You begin to think differently, respond differently, You might start liking the same sandals. I don't know. And when you spend the kind of time with a person that we're talking about here, you get to know things about them. When they withdraw, when they risk, when they get angry, what they love, what hurts them. And you get a real sense for how they feel about you. And you are amazed and grateful that such a wonderful person wants to hang out with you day in and day out when you're grumpy, sloppy, 
embarrassing. Further, that person actually enjoys you, is fascinated by what you have to say, believes in you, sees you as someone far better than you know you are, and loves you. So being with Jesus wasn't about a few minutes for devotions. No. It was all about life every day. And Peter and John were with Jesus. And the rulers and the elders looked at the courage of Peter and John, two basic guys, and they were astonished. Why? What did they see? They saw two men who knew they were loved and accepted. Two men who were confident. Two men who were peaceful. How did it show on their faces, in their demeanor? Have you ever seen that? I know you have. So courage, number one, comes from being with Jesus. Really being with Jesus. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joys we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. It's a little song we used to sing when I was in Sunday school. Two, the second thing that we learned from this verse about courage or this passage comes from knowing what you are about, that you have a set purpose in life. Well, now Simon Birch is a young man who, though handicapped in body, is not in the least handicapped in spirit. And he has a best friend named Joe, who never seems to notice that Simon is different. And that gives Simon wings to be all he can be. Simon knows he has been selected for a great purpose in life. And though he's not entirely clear about what that looks like, he will not rest until his reason for being is accomplished. He thinks he can get a little clarity on the subject by talking with his pastor. And we'll see. <laughs> hmm. Disappointing, huh? We've been set apart for a great work. Simon knew that. Yes, but what? Could there be anything more, in, more important in life than partnering with the living God to reconcile the world to himself. And that's it. We're here for this reason. As strangers and aliens in the world, without, um, in a world without hope, on our way back to the Father, playing new songs infused with joy and promise. Listen to Peter and John in response to the ruler's nervous criticism of them. Judge for yourselves, they said, whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We can't help it. Sorry if it upsets you. Sorry if it ruins your day. Sorry if you think you can play multiple choice when it comes to God. There's only one, and he's got me, and he wants you and courage comes from knowing, number two, with rock-solid determination, what our purpose is and what we are about. Well, the third thing I think that we can learn about courage is also found in this chapter, and that is, in the midst of looking for courage to stand boldly in this world, 
We need to have others around us urging us on. And we are told in Acts 4, verses 23 and 24, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when their friends heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Back to their own people. They raised their voices together in prayer. There were others walking alongside Peter and John who supported them, and that gives us courage. When I was in college, I tried to learn how to water ski on Lake Arrowhead in San Bernardino Mountains. Many of you know that spot. And those of you who know this sport, you know it's best to learn on a glassy surface, not on a choppy one, which Arrowhead was every time I tried to do it. I tried a few other times in different places, but never under the right conditions, and eventually decided it just wasn't my spiritual gift. (laughs) Well, 20 years passed, long after I had given up the idea, and certainly with no wish to pursue it, and a dear friend who owned a boat took me out and insisted that I could learn. Well, there were a bunch of other people around, too. It was a little embarrassing being the only one in our group that couldn't get up on skis, so I timidly agreed to try. Imagine, if you will, and I know it's very easy to imagine, the most unflattering, embarrassing positions that you could land in behind a boatload of people, and that would be me. (laughs) When I told the driver to hit it, I sort of hoped that the it was me. and I could be put out of my misery. (laughs) But my friend came alongside me. When others gave up, she convinced me that I could do it. Again and again, we worked on it. Again and again, she circled the boat to bring back the rope that had snapped out of my hands. I catch the symbolism in this one. Don't try to pull yourself up. Let the boat do it. After incredible patience, prayer, and persistence on her part, I will always remember the beautiful sunset when I surfaced and skimmed across the lake. And that also is what gives us courage. Having others around us who believe in us, who don't give up on us, who pray us towards God's best, The Christian community has a lot of accountability groups. We have a lot of accountability groups here on campus. But they can't just be about sharing our stories. And they can't just be about finding um, limited support in one another. They must be focused on God. And we must emerge from them stronger, more confident, prayed for, empowered to do God's work in the world. And there are three things, my friends, that give us courage. Look at Acts 3 and 4. In the midst of hopelessness, they were with, with Jesus. They knew what they were about. They knew their calling and they had a passion toward that. And they had other people that came alongside of them and encouraged them and prayed for them and loved them. 
Now let's return to the river for a minute that I was talking about at the very beginning. It's a sample of life, the life of our culture. Jump. Life sucks anyway. What is there to lose? Have a little fun. What else is there? And Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Believe it. Abundant life. Do you have the courage to tell them? It's scary. It's hard. It's not for the faint-hearted, but courage comes from being with Jesus and all of those other things that we talked about. And this passage particularly stood out to me. Peter and John go back to their group, and they tell them what has happened, and they prayed. And listen to this. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Let's pray. Father, right here in this room are enough people who, empowered by your Holy Spirit, can change the world. Father, give us courage. Give us time to be with you, to love you, to enjoy you, and to hear your love and your delight in us. Give us purpose. Purpose that goes beyond anything that we're doing here, or the work that we choose, or the families that we have, or the homes that we build, or the empires that we create, Father. Give us a passion for the work that you have set us apart to do. And then, Lord, bring people around us that will love us and care for us and pray for us. And, Father, we know that when that happens, there won't be hopelessness anymore. Amen. Go in peace.